This is a headgum podcast. MCM, XCV, three more eyes, it's the late 90s. Jackson College and Tanner's 14, it's 1998. Week is on the radio, Titanic is on screens, Bill Clinton's in office wearing baggy jinko jeans. It's the pinnacle of culture in the 20th century, it's 1998, the podcast. Uh, it's been getting jiggy with it. 1998, the podcast. The year? is 1998. Bill Clinton is president. The Unabomber is terrorizing America. The Winter Olympics are in Nagano. And all eyes are on Tara Lipinski and Michelle Kwan. Tara. Tara Lipinski and Michelle Kwan. Snowboarding is in the Olympics for the first time, and Germany cleans up. Sean Mendes and Jaden Smith are born. Phil Hartman and Akira Kurosawa die. Oh. 1998 is also the year of the miseducation of Lauren Hill, Ray of Light, Hello Nasty, In the Aeroplane Over the Sea, and Fatboy Slim on Nauseating Repeat. The Truman Show is in theaters, as is Saving Private Ryan, Armageddon, Deep Impact, Rushmore, Blade, and There's Something About Mary. I feel like you're spoiling the entire show. And two boys on different continents and at dramatically different times of their lives are trying to discover who they are. Those boys are me. <laughs> and, and me. Wait, who? Uh, my name is Tanner Greenring. In uh, 1998, I was a 14-year-old boy. My name is Jack Shepard, and in 1998, I was a 9-year-old boy? 19-year-old 19. boy? <laughs> 19-year-old man. Out of high school? Yeah. I was not even in high school yet. You were probably doing cool party drugs oh all of them and i was like not even i didn't even have my first sip of alcohol yet we were at vastly different stages of our lives at 14 at 14 i was already like a a, i had like gin blossoms by 14 uh i didn't start drinking until i was probably about 19 lame that's the thing i was calling people in 1998 oh cool would have called you lame lords i was calling them um piss ants Let's see what the hot slang was in 1998. I was very, very few years removed from saying tight, unironically. Tight. I still say tight. It's good to say. Unironically. Or tight. fly. Oh, tight. Um, oh, tight. Welcome. This is a, a new podcast starring me, Tanner Greenring, and my associate, Jack Shepard, called 1998 The Podcast. Every week, mm-hmm. Jack and I come with... One to, I'm going to say, four pieces of media that we have hand-selected mm-hmm. from the greatest year in living history. 1998. 1998. As far as I'm year. concerned, the only year that matters. Only good year. Last good year, first good year, Yeah. only good year. And we're very close to the 20th anniversary of the end of that fine year. Oh, well, when we record this, we are. Yeah. And when we publish it, it will have come and gone. Come and gone. So what we've done this week, and, you know, we're kind of feeling our way here a little bit, so we're going to land on a format, but we've each assigned one another a piece of media that we were into in 1998 for the other person to experience. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. But I think first, I want to do two things, Tanner. Mm. I want first to talk about 
why 1998? Sure. That makes sense. Well, yeah. we already kind of did that. We talked best about year. how it was the first good year, it was the last good year, and it was the only good <clears throat> year, the best year. Yeah. So, do you want more than that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Is that all you got? I didn't think I needed any more than that. Oh, okay. So when I'll I... tell you why. Okay. Jack and I have another show, had, mm-hmm. called The Babysitter's Club Club. Towards the end of the main canon series of those books, they were being published in the year 1998. That was a cultural touchstone for us when during the, the era of the podcast where we were discussing the books that were released in 98. We had a lot of fun memories about what it was like to be alive in 1998. And someone in our podcast Facebook group said, you guys should just do a show about 1998. So here we are. Oh, that's why we're doing it, because someone told us. Yeah. But I think what part of the reason for me that this c- caught on is not just like the time of life that I was in, but there was something unique about that year in terms of the movies and the music and the pop culture that was happening. Right. There's something like... There's something terminal about the end of the 90s. There's this like – this a real fucking thing was pre-millennium, pre-millennium dread. People were like, right. we don't know what's going to happen in 2000, but like we know that everything's going to change and like the robots are going to come for us. That proved – It's going to be the Willennium. Yeah, the Will Smith. Yeah, that was the name of his album. Yeah, that's true. In what year was that? 99. Probably 2000, right. 2000, yeah. 99. So that's um, disregard. That was, that's, strike that from the record. But like all of that hope and fear, which characterizes the end of that era and characterizes the culture of that era, does come crashing down with 9 11. And that's something that like all of the things we thought were going to happen that we were afraid of and that we were hopeful for, and like everything that the 90s represented did disappear in a way that we never could have expected. Um, I can't so, believe how little time it took you to bring up 9-11 that's what, on that's, this podcast. I can't Yet believe- another podcast ruined <laughs> by your constant 9-11 references. <laughs> this is the first time. We've been, we've been podcasting for now over three years. It's the first time I've mentioned it in a very salient way. You're always like going on about 9-11, inside job, inside job, stuff like that. <laughs> But I think that's real. I feel like that, like the specter of that, like what that did to the dream of the 90s is something that we need to have in the back of our mind. Okay. And I think all of the media that we're going to talk about is like hopeful for this future that never happened, this like continuation of the 90s that never happened. We consumed this week three pieces of media. Where do you want to start? So I think we're going to start. You made me consume two pieces of media. You son of a bitch. And I, I let... made you consume one piece of media. Okay. What are we calling our listeners? The naughty 90, naughty 98? Aiders? Aiders? going to ate? Friends? Like, Friends was the biggest show, right? You know what's a cool thing to say is Aiders going to ate. I just want you to register. Uh, that. That's no, that cool is good. Say. Let's, yeah. say, let's call them Aiders. Aiders going to ate. Yeah. Aiders is good. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> we have to refer to our listeners by something, huh? Well, because I, I like to address them. And I want to address them now. And well, the, Aiders is provisional. <laughs> Aiders is provisional. We could switch it at any time. Yeah. Uh, Beckers? Be- Beckheads? Because Beck? That show Becker. Oh, and Beck. in 1998. I think Midnight Vultures came out in 90. 90- no, 99. No. So you know what stri- came out? Strike in, it from the record. You know what came out in 98, though? Uh, the most underrated Beck album and one of the most underrated albums of all time. Sure, totally. Oh, Come okay. on, dumbass. 
mutations. Strike it from the record. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, we talked about this before over Slack when we were trying to figure out how to to do the show. And I think it's a good idea, but it could be the most fraught and difficult idea of all time. But I think that we should make a rule right up front that we, we can't make any references. Yes. Or no, we can make references to things that aren't from 98, but... The other person, it's their job to tell you if you make that reference. That and you, you've got to find an equivalent reference from 98 to, to go back to. Great. So, Jack, yeah. find me an equivalent reference to 9-11 from 1998. Okay, Because as good. you know, that happened yeah. after 98. So 1998. So, like, the we no one expected the Unabomber. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know? No, and that was big news. And that changed everything. Ted Kaczynski, he published that massive, uh, like, weird manifesto in the Washington Post. Yep. And that just, everything changed on that day. Yeah. I think it's, let's do that from now on. We strike it from the record, and we have to find an equivalent 1998 or earlier. Okay. So you could have said Hindenburg. Great. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. 80. Eighters. 88ers. Eighters. Listen. Eighters. Tanner's was about to complain to you that I was going to complain. Him- I was just I was making the eighters aware of the imbalance that happened this yeah. week. So but I here's had to the imbalance. Two pieces of media. I made Tanner. I made Tanner watch a TV show, a two part se- TV show, two episodes of a two TV episodes, show. an hour and a half total of content. And listen to one album, an hour Which was total of content. Hour and ten minutes of content. As of, by the way, as of, and I listened to it one and a half times. Three o'clock today, he hadn't listened to the album yet. I and have listened to it. What Tanner gave me was the assignment to beat a video game that I can admit now that I haven't beat, but I have spent. Oh wow! I have. You know what's spent, really surprising about that, Jack, is I what? watched the two episodes of the TV show and <laughs> I listened to the album one and a half times. I have spent. 40 hours playing it but you did not finish the piece of media i gave you to consume way great start to our podcast <laughs> jack did not complete the assignment jack let's talk about assignment. okay the album mm-hmm. no wait we got to talk about what we were doing in 98 okay yeah do you want me to start my name is tanner greenring my name is jack shepherd in 1998 i was 14 years old in 1998 i was 19 years old should we do it one at a time let's do it one at a time okay you go um, how old is how what grade is a kid who is a fourteen year old ninth grade? ninth grade? I was a ninth grader at Weber Junior High in Fort Collins, Colorado. I was a bad student. I had just met my friend Jim in junior high. He would do this thing where he'd steal the balls out of the school mice, computer mouses. Mm-hmm. And he invented this game in our gymnasium where he would throw the ball up and try to get it above a line, that was a line of bricks in the auditorium, and then catch it. And these little balls were very heavy and hard, so it really hurt to catch it. And he called it mouse ball. And I saw him playing it alone one time. I was like, that guy seems like my kind of dude. We're still lifelong friends. He lives here in Brooklyn with me. I probably played a lot of computer games. I played a lot of video games. Um, my friend Elliot and I would go walk home from junior high every day to the local library and look at books about sex. <laughs> Is that why you're so good at it now? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's, that's kind of what I was up to in 1998. Yeah. Were you listening to cool music? Um, definitely not. I was probably listening to a lot of kind of like fat records 
Okay. Like pop punk kind of stuff. That's I think cool. that's like the year I really discovered Fat Mike, No FX. Yep, exactly. Lagwagon. Cool. Yeah. That kind of stuff. That's not terrible. Okay. Thank you. Um Okay. Now- Actually, that's not true. Sorry. Yeah. I'm going to take a step back. Yeah. This was 1998 was probably the year before I discovered Fat Records and I was listening to like very pop punk stuff like Goldfinger. Okay. And um The Offspring. Okay. Things like that. And that led me to Fat Records. Yeah, I'll allow it. I think Come Out and Play is a cool song. Okay, sure. Thank Did you. It, was, well, maybe was, we'll cover it. Was Self-Esteem your anthem? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool, man. Um, uh, we'll cover it at some point. When did when was what album was that on? Smash. I think it probably came out in '96. Yeah. So yeah, that's definitely where I was. Oh, I was probably. Definitely 14, definitely, definitely huge, huge, openly huge Star Wars fan. Okay. Like, wore Star Wars shirts, talked to anyone who would ask about Star Wars. What what film are we on in 98? This is pre-prequels. This is pre-prequels, but year it's before in the, the air. It's in the fucking air. Yeah. Yeah, I was probably pretty amped. That's something we had in common. That's something we could have talked about. Yeah. I was already talking about the like the rumors about the prequels. Yep. So that's where I was at. How about you? 19. 19 years old. I was in my sophomore year of college. I was living in, oh, the grimiest, grimiest house on a street called John Street in St. Andrews, Scotland, where I went to university. St. Andrews. St. Andrews. I was doing a weird thing. So I was living with three other people. Oh, wait, four other people. Maeve, Suze, Tucky, and Jamie. Okay. And... I was doing a weird thing where, so I like, I always wanted to go to either Oxford or Cambridge. Right. Because I think I'm, I like, always thought I was you like hot shit. Right. And I, I got an interview for Cambridge uh, in my senior year of high school. I flew out there. That's and, how they do it. Yep. And um, I was rejected. And so yep. that, it, that tracks in 1998, my second year of college at St. Andrews, a perfectly fine, excellent, prestigious university in the UK. Great golf city. I I met Bill Clinton on the golf course there once. Did you? Yeah, and he said to me, "This is a 1998 ass story." I was carrying a cafetiere, <laughs> and I went up and shook his hand. He did this golf swing; it was so bad. He did such a bad job. I went up and shook his hand, and then he looked at the cafetiere and he said, "Is that a cafetiere?" <laughs> <laughs> and then he said, "I was like, yeah." Why said, you were on the golf course with it? Yeah, and then he said, "I love those things." <laughs> Why did you have it on a golf course? Because it was this was my college, and I was walking back from somewhere to somewhere, and I walked across the storied St. Andrews old course where Bill Clinton was playing. <laughs> I You're love like, those things. <laughs> Jamie and I once went to Colonial Williamsburg. Yeah, This is only a brief digression, uh, which is like a colonial village, like stuck in time, like it's 1774. Uh, and everyone's in costumes, and everyone's pretending it's 1774, and it's also right next door to William and Mary College, and there's constantly college kids in bright neon clothes jogging through <laughs> Colonial Williamsburg <laughs> because it's an open campus. Yeah. No, exactly. It's like, what? <laughs> exactly. So the thing that I was doing that I forgot to finish is that I was busy applying to Oxford to start a college all over again. Hmm. Were you uh, living, were you and your parents living in the U.S.? So you're secretly British. Were you and your parents living in the U.S. at the time? My parents were living in the U.S., but, and I was tech, I guess, no, I was living in Scotland, which is where my college was, but my parents were based in the U.S. Okay. 
Um, and I applied. I spent the whole year applying. Uh, and I got an interview down to the final um, interview. And then I was also rejected from right. from that uni- fine institution. Not smart enough, they said. Not smart enough. Too dull. I think, it, so salient facts about me. I think the key thing about me at this point in terms of like my style is that I'm making this very awkward and difficult transition stylistically from being like a fucking rave kid to being an indie kid. You were transitioning out of rave kid in 98? Transitioning out, yeah. I feel I, like kind of the, that mainstream rave thing. Yeah. Like really took hold in 1998 with like what did the Matrix come out in 98? Yeah, to me that's that was it's like that shit is played. Uh, okay. So that's uh Matrix came out in 99, so strike yeah. it from the record. Equivalent yeah. Wait, film. What's an ex- yeah, what's an equivalent? What do you mean? Do you mean Tron? <laughs> <laughs> um is that something is it like Tron? I'm going to say the equivalent film to Matrix in 98 is Dark City. Mm, that's cool. Yeah. That is the equivalent film. Good job. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. No, the, the Dark City came out big for rave culture. So you weren't on that, like, latex, like, rave suit, Wachowski rave culture. No, that, that was, shit was so played. played. By the time that shit happens, I'm, like, out of raves. And honestly, I don't know if I can say this on this podcast. I was never really into rave music. I was in it for the drugs. Yeah. So That's and I, I realized that I could I could like be like an indie dude and still do drugs and still do rave drugs. That's cool. And that, so that's where I'm at. I feel like you 98. and a lot of other people sort of discovered that in '98. Like so I can I, wear corduroy yeah. and like yeah, do ecstasy. Yeah. So probably in the summer of '97, or I guess the summer of '98, whatever. I can't. The the math here is difficult for me. But the summer before that year of college. I probably went to a bunch of thrift stores and like traded out my Jinkos for like the tightest fitting pants and yeah. like t-shirts that were a size too small that said like super esoteric ironic shit on them. Right. I was trying to fit in it in a junior high so I was definitely wearing um Vikings jerseys with oh boy. Philadelphia Flyers hats. Keep in mind ni- uh, Niners, what are we calling them? Haters. 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 Yeah. Haters um, gonna eight. It was all performance. Yeah, I no, don't. Li- you know. I don't like sports. I don't watch sports. This wasn't. I'm, I'm I was, 34 now, and I don't consume sports in any way. I was in that scene. So, like, I, uh, you know, these things are all performative. But I was in like DC indie rock. 98 is a fucking good time for music. Yeah, I was going to s- some like Fugazi is playing. Um, like all of those Discord bands are in DC. It's well, just let's like not spoil any future episodes by okay. having you list bands that you're definitely going to make me listen to someday. Okay, fine. I let's was talk about to... the band you made me listen to this week. Okay, fine, fine. Finish up your story. Anything else about you? Uh, that summer, I worked at Tower Records, and that's important to me. I was like a snobby record store guy. Which was in cool then. DC? Maybe sad now. In DC, I worked at the Tower Records in DC in 98. Is it still there? Uh, no, they shut Tower down. Okay. Good riddance. Uh, it's what the movie Empire Records is built on. Is that a 98 yeah. reference? Oh, God, I hope not, because I would love to find to, to hear you squirm. <laughs> 95, you're fine. Okay, good. 
Um, okay, so we're going to talk about the album that I made you listen to. Are you? Do you want to talk about it first, or do you want me to talk about it first? I think you should talk about it first. Let me offer you my initial thoughts and opinions, and then I want some background into the album and what it meant to you as 19-year-old Jack Shepard. Okay. I listened to an album called Up by a band called Rapid Eye Movement. Nope, that's not true. Michael Stipe has always said that R.E.M. can stand for whatever you want it to. Okay, well then, it is true, because I choose for it to stand for <laughs> Rapid Eye Movement. Okay, fine, I'll allow it. <laughs> uh, I listened to a ba- an album called Up by a, from a band called R.E.M. Mm-hmm. I know R.E.M. I one time ran into Michael Stipe in an elevator. Oh yeah, so did I. <laughs> with, I was with Jack. <laughs> Wait, were you with me when we ran into him? No, we have yeah. both separately run into him. Well, so we work at a major media company in New York. Jack lives in Austin, but uh, he used to live in New York. And our old office shared a building with a celeb gym mm-hmm. that a lot of New York celebs would work out at. Kyle so, McLaughlin went there. And the guy who runs Google, or ran Google. Oh, yeah. Eric Schmidt. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we we ran into a lot of, and like... Just Sarah Jessica Parker. Anyway, a lot of celebs. Mm-hmm. One of them was Michael Stipe. And Anna Martin. Into him. Well, that was a different time. Yeah. We would run into him on the elevator every now and then. I know of R.E.M. I know that one album that everyone knows from R.E.M. Automatic for the People. Yep. What's it called? Automatic for the People. Automatic for the People. Do you want to know why? I, yeah. Um, they used to go to this diner. Um, I think it was in Athens, but it may not have been. That was their favorite the band's favorite diner, and that was what the chef at the diner would always say when he served the food. Automatic for the people. Great. And I like that one a lot, and I think everyone likes that one a lot, right? It's got all the good songs on it. No. You like it a lot, right? Yeah, it's a fucking masterpiece, but it doesn't have all the good songs, and I can disprove that fairly quickly by naming songs that you will be like, oh, yeah, I love that song. Anyway, I like on automatic. I like that album a lot. Uh-huh. I also like the album that came after it, uh, Monster. Yes, great. Also a good REM album, and I only know a couple songs from each album. Okay, you serve me up some late REM. Yeah, it's, it's a different period of REM. Yeah, and that's what I think is interesting. I like. I don't think of REM existing outside of the early '90s, other than the time that they had that song in that one. Jim Carrey movie. Jim Carrey movie about... Andy Warhol. Andy, Andy Warhol. No, Andy Sandberg. Kaufman. Andy Kaufman. Kaufman. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I, I need a 98-era reference for Sandberg, Andy Sandberg. God, he please. was definitely alive. No, we need something that's equivalent. Relatable, cool comedians. Weird Al Yankovic. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Weird Al Yankovic. It's... Um, uh, who's the Dana guy... Carvey. No, no, no. Uh, close. SNL actor who was super, super... He had a lot of, like, stage fright and had, like, a lot of, like, Jay Moore. Jay Moore. Jay Moore. Yeah, good. Can we just go back over and do the mistake where, where you could... Well, you'll be like, oh, wait, who was it? Andy uh, Andy Warhol? Uh, Jay Moore? No, I mean Andy Kaufman. Andy Kaufman. Yeah. Yeah. So that's all I knew of R.E.M. Okay. You served me up... 1998's Up. Yes. An album by R.E.M. Mm-hmm. I listened to it one and a half times today. Okay. Which I asked you to listen to it multiple times, and I played Pokemon for 40 hours. I just want everybody to fucking think about that and digest that, and you listen to it one and a fucking half times. It's something you can do while you're working. Okay. Do yep. you 
do you want to get combative? <laughs> no, I do. Or do I you I, want to listen to my opinion without I, influencing me in some way? I want I want to Cuz what if now I'm just like fuck your album, I hated okay, it. Fine. All right, fine. Let's hear it. I didn't. I loved it. Good. Thank you. Thank God. I was getting defensive cuz I was worried you were going to hate it and I love this album. I love this album. Good. I've obviously heard a few of the songs on here before. Mm-hmm. I think um Day Sleeper. Yep, that's the sounded first very single. familiar to me. That's probably the biggest song off that album it went to number three in the uk it's a really good song we'll we'll i guess this is the kind of show where we play clips of songs yes definitely so we're gonna do that now So that was Day Sleeper. Yep. Jack knows it. It was really good. Um, That's a really good song. The other ones I really gravitated towards, I really liked Walk on a Yes. Thank you. That was a really, really good song. Is now a good time for me to talk to you about that? Because I was, I, the Walk on a question is the biggest question I was, I had about your experience with this album. Okay. And uh, and I'll just say quickly my thought about this because I was like, I wonder if Tanner is going to pick up on Walk Unafraid. And the reason why I wonder that is that I think that R.E.M., everything after Monster, the world changed. 1998 happened and like a a lot of R.E.M. things got ignored that shouldn't have been ignored. But the two things that were ignored that I have always been baffled by is a song off of New Adventures in Hi-Fi, which is the album that came before this, called Leave. Okay. And the song Walk Unafraid off of this album. I think that Walk Unafraid is like, it's a massive hit. It should have been like fucking the biggest song of the year. Yeah. And I think they do this thing, like as with Leave, like they chose with Leave to... Uh, have the whole song overlaid by like a car alarm that goes off and the song is six minutes long. Oh, so everyone's just like, you can't play that on radio. It probably hurt. And then Walk on Afraid is another one where they just like, it kind of meanders a little bit and it's like, it it clocks in well over five minutes. But I think it's a, it's not just a fucking great song. It should have, like everything about it feels like it should have been a massive hit and it wasn't. No, it's a really beautiful and nice song, and I liked it a lot. And I was surprised because it was not a song that I think I had ever heard before. And there yeah. were other songs on this album. Like, I definitely heard Lotus before. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That was a big Interesting. hit. That surprises me, but yeah. You it was a single. Surprising? I think it was a single after... I think it may have been the single after, uh, after Day Sleeper. Like, none of these songs were... Oh, I know every word to this song, you know? At My Most Beautiful was a kind of a late-breaking right. hit. I also recognize At My Most Beautiful. Yeah. Those are the the three, Day Sleeper, Lotus, and At My Most Beautiful are the three that I was like, I've definitely heard this song. But we, let's, we'll play some of Walk Unafraid right now, just so people can hear it. Yeah, Walk Unafraid. Okay, carry on. Please carry on. I'm fascinated to hear this. It was just, I had never heard that song before. I was not familiar with it, but I was just so taken by it. It was just such a nice song. And also, this this album did not feel, unlike the other two things we're going to discuss today, and I assume much of the things we'll discuss on this podcast, 
This album didn't feel dated in any way. It yeah. felt like totally at home in 2018. Right, which is shocking. <laughs> and also, like, I know R.E.M. Like, I know Michael Stipe's voice, and it, like, Michael Stipe's voice to me feels very early 90s, and this didn't feel very early 90s. Yeah, he like I, this is like an era of REM where the he's like in the in the first R, REM albums like with Murmur he would like he famously like sang with his like face to the wall in a bathroom so that like he, he was like muffled and obscured and Up is the first album where they 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 choose to print his lyrics. Okay, and the, so it's could, also nineteen so year old Jack could sing along. So like, well, I could sing along, but it also like really showcases like his voice. In a way that it, ha- it starts starts on automatic, certainly. I mean, starts before automatic, but like up is like the main thing about up. The key thing about up in the history of REM is that that was the year that Bill Berry, their drummer, quit. Okay, and that's important. It's massively important. Like they almost broke up as a band. Our, Michael Stipe's famous quote is, "A three legged dog is still a dog." Sure, my college roommate had a three legged dog, and it, His did, name was, was it. Can you confirm that it was still a dog? Still a dog. Okay. He once bit me in the neck because <laughs> I was very drunk and I did a move. I came out of the bathroom and saw yeah. a group of my friends standing on the other side of the living room. Yeah. And I was very drunk, as were they. Yeah. And I got down low. I got my center of gravity as low as possible. Mm-hmm. And I put a single finger up on my forehead like this. Okay. And I yelled, rhinoceros and i ran at my three friends full speed crouched to the ground mm-hmm. and my friend jim's dog saw me coming and leapt up and bit me in the neck i think the rem equivalent of that is when they released around the sun okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is an rem joke because that album was bad <clears throat> oh that wasn't a bad moment in my life Oh, when the dog bit you in the neck, you that was a good that was a joyful moment. Yeah, I still have scars and like I bled <laughs> for like hours because it was like a neck bite. But if you could do it all again, you would. Yeah. Yeah. I don't regret a moment, man. Um I walk unafraid. But so so I'm glad you I'm really, really pleased that you picked up on Walk Unafraid because I think that's a fantastic song and it's like it's a song it's like no one ever talks about it. This is the thing about like the 1998ness of this is that REM and U2 are still like the biggest fucking bands in the world in a way that like you don't really get rock bands being that anymore. Right. Maybe for a while not, the Foo Fighters were that, bands. you know? I think the the age of rock is kind of over. Now it's like all pop and um, hip hop. Yeah, I mean there are like massive like mega celebrities like Taylor Swift or whatever. But like that, like there was what about a ton- like uh, Imagine Dragons? That's the new REM. I was thinking Imagine Dragons, but I don't think they. I don't think Imagine Dragons encapsulates what REM was or even U two was because like for one thing, both REM and U2, but especially REM, like they started as being this like college rock and having this like real fucking cred and being like art rock and like cool kids listen to them and and then aged into being like fucking filling stadiums and being the biggest bands in the world. Yeah. And then in 1998, this legacy is like in question. It's like what, like what is REM anymore? Bill Berry's quit and- this album doesn't go to number one. It doesn't have staying power on the charts. It doesn't have like a massive, massive single on the level of like, I mean, this is true of New Adventures as well, but like on the level of even like What's a Frequency Kenneth or like, or certainly anything off automatic. 
but no, this is like late. This is what I'm saying. It's like yeah. late era REM. Like it's like REM past their prime, but it's still very good. But I think it's not. Pa- I think it's like like that that fear and that weirdness and that uncertainty about who they are as a band is also like very indicative of the era where it's like what like what are we doing? Like it's like this album is very like computer music. They brought in our um Radiohead's Nigel Godrich to help produce. Yeah, it does kind of have some Radioheady stuff to it. And they they lost their drummer and so they were like instead of like bringing in like a new guy who's going to be our drummer, we're just going to have like, like a bunch of like yeah, drum machines and like weird fills and and like the fucking opening track of this album is this song called Airport Man. Yeah. Which is like a, basically you know what it like, like a dirge. Yeah. It sounded like a Brian Eno song. Totally. that's exactly right and it's like I think the thing that's that's like super 1990-80 about that is like it's this vision of the computer age that's like Brian Eno is a great example of what that is and like like Radiohead's OK Computer kind of like opens the discourse on that. And then I think Up is a continuation of that in some ways. Yeah. Uh, my favorite joke to do to you that you hate is mixing up Michael Stipe with Scott Stapp from Creed. I don't like that. You hate that joke? Yeah. Um, I think we should take a break soon. But before we do, I want to ask if you, Jack, have heard. Do you know the band First Aid Kit? Yes. They're great. Did you hear the cover of Walk Unafraid that they did for the soundtrack to the movie no. Wild? What? <laughs> no. The band First Aid Kit in, I don't know, three years ago or something? <clears throat> yeah. Probably. Did a cover of Walk Unafraid for the soundtrack to the movie Wild starring Holy Reese Witherspoon. fucking God. And it is very, very good. And I guess we're probably playing a clip now, huh? Yeah. Before we take a break, Tanner, I need to tell you a, a very like brief but extremely 1998 story about myself that intersects with this album. Okay. And on June 13th and June 14th, 1998, a young Jack Shepard went to the Tibetan Freedom Concert. <laughs> of course he did. In D.C. Yeah. Um, one of the fam- – so – and that's like a very – like all, everyone came together. It was your to Woodstock. Like, to be like, we got it. Oh, Totally. Like, we got a free Tibet. Everyone was like, we got a free Tibet. Like, the BC boys told us we got a free Tibet. Everyone was like, Bill Clinton was like, yeah. Everybody on was on board. Yeah, okay, let's do that. Um, and the way we're going to do it is with this big concert. The famous thing about that concert, and I witnessed this happen, is someone got struck by lightning. Cool. D- during a Herbie Hancock set. Did they die? I don't think so. But the, the thing that was happening was they were holding their cellular phone up in the air. It was, And the reason they were struck is because it was the only cellular yeah. phone there. Yeah. Yeah. And that was God's warning to us where he was like, no, we should <laughs> this. We should not have this. Uh, but the young Jack Shepard, I've I have gone so far as to find footage of this and looked at it frame by frame to see if I can find myself. Found his way right to the center Number one person in the front row for Radiohead's set. That's cool. And Radiohead played 
a bunch of songs, and then they said, now I'm going to play Lucky, but instead of me singing, I'm going to bring out a special friend. And fucking who comes out wearing like some kind of a like silky bathrobe, but Michael <laughs> Michael Stipe. Stipe. What and was if, OK Computer 98, 97? Five, five, six, five or six. Okay. Um, but there's Radiohead takes some time between the albums. Um, and this is like during a period where where Radiohead and like and the Benz was ninety five. Okay, computer was ninety seven. Ninety seven. Shit. Okay, so it was the year before. They play Lucky. Michael Stipe sings on Lucky. Um, I bet we can play a clip of that. Okay. Uh, it's it's definitely on YouTube. And the thing you probably can't hear is nineteen year old Jack Shepard front row just screaming, creaming his pants. I was so I th- that is like the only time in my life that I have ever been just like a full on like super fan like stan. What about the time we saw him in the elevator? I didn't I like looked at him and then I I did a double take and I saw him recognize that I had recognized him and he looked so unhappy and I didn't say anything. <laughs> um let's take a break. All right. Goodbye. Welcome trainers. <laughs> Welcome trainers to to Canto. Yeah. Canto? Oh god, it feels good to be back in Canto, doesn't it? Canto. Now okay. these days mm-hmm. it's it's twenty eighteen. Well, it's sure. probably twenty nineteen when this comes out. And you and I have been across all the different regions. Mm-hmm. We went from Kanto to Jodo in Gen 2 to um, the Hoenn region in Gen 3. Wait, sorry. Excuse me. Can I cut you off? What is Gen 3? What's that most, reference to? Most recently, we were in the Alola Is that? I don't region. understand. I don't These are all regions. register those. But These are all regions, What's fictional regions mean? in... Oh, sorry. The third generation of the... Pokemon games. And when did that come? Da out? da 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 da. Because <laughs> the, the piece soundtrack. of media I yeah. made you consume this week, Jack, mm-hmm. was a hit game from 1998. Yep, called Pokemon Yellow. Yellow. The the Pikachu edition, I believe, mm-hmm. is the subtitle. Yeah. Talk to me about it. What did you think? You only played about half the game. I played for dozens of hours. Give me your experience. Walk me through it. Walk me through your initial thoughts. Tell me what you thought about Pokemon Yellow, the special Pikachu edition. So, my experience of the Pokemans. Very cool. Very fun. Is that cool to say that? Saying it's a Pokemans. That's good, right? Mm. It's like You know what Pokemon is short for? Pocket Monster. Pocket Monsters. My experience with the Pokemans is that I think probably in 98, though you can correct me. No, probably a lot earlier than 98. Probably in like 96, that uh, there was a cartoon. Yes. We'll get into all of this, but yes, and that is accurate. I, that was like, that was probably, so 96, I was 
17. Okay. And that was, I think, the first – the thing I remember about the Pokemon cartoon is that that was the first time I remember being like, I don't really get what the kids are into anymore. Right. It In was 96, like really, I was the ripe old age of 12. Yeah, so it so was you, like – You were uh-oh. like, I am the kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this uh, looks interesting. I remember seeing – everyone was talking about it and I remember seeing it and being like – I. This is the first time I've like experienced a piece of popular media, and I just like don't fucking get it. It's like very fast and like hard to understand. So right. that was my early experience of the Pokemans. I had some friends who were into it. This guy Tim, who drove a Camaro and uh, sold Coke, he sounds cool. He was cool, and he once like ran from the cops in his Camaro and then hid in a dumpster for a while. And that is very them. cool. Uh, but he was really into the Pokemans. Um, so, like, I had some concept for it. So let uh, me let me kind of re- reveal <laughs> to you now a secret. Okay. So, because because the the truth is, you know more about the the anime, the Pokemon anime, mm-hmm. by playing Pokemon Yellow than you may realize. Okay. So, Pokemon Generation One mm-hmm. in the U.S. was two different games: mm. Pokemon Red and Pokemon Blue, and okay. they came out in 1996. Okay. And they were virtually identical to Pokemon Yellow, the game you played. Right. The same year the anime premiered in the U.S. Okay. That, that's the cartoon that I'm talking about. Yep. Okay. And it loosely followed the plot of Pokemon Blue and Red, but took some creative liberties. Oh, uh, including Pikachu. And then, yep, they made Pikachu the star. Okay. And then two years later, they're like, let's release a new version of this game. Mm-hmm. Called Pokemon Yellow that follows the anime. Okay, interesting. That's a very useful piece of context, right? Um, so it's but, slightly different from the very original Pokemon's Pokemon Red and Blue. Yeah, except it, it and because it it tries to incorporate some elements from the anime and the first feature film. Okay, uh, but so I will say that so I knew about that as a kid, and then I've obviously like Pokemon is a big part of like the the culture that we swim in and for, for years and Pokemon go is a thing. And like, I understand it. We have a friend called Dave who can name like a hundred Pokemon in one minute. And it's f- cool to watch him do that. Yeah. Um, he's younger than I am. Yeah. But I never knew anything about it beyond those things. And I was pleasantly surprised. I quite liked it. It's very fun, right? It was fun. It was fun. Um, so you made it th- to Celadon city yeah, I have some questions about the world. We can get into the the we can get a little granular about the aspects of the game. I have some questions for you about the world. You made it the, to Celadon. You beat Jim yeah. Leader Erica, and you got the Rainbow yeah. Badge. Yeah, it's this like grass girl who's like, right. oh, I only use grass type, and I was like, oh, guess what? My Nido Queen is level fucking forty five, and she's gonna fucking eat you alive. She is. You got a Nido Queen up to forty five. Yeah. You know, I think the max level for Pokemon is 50. Yeah, my Nido Queen is like no one can stop her. It's like na- it's nasty. <laughs> Why don't you just like, breeze through the game then? You could just beat the final Because I'm trying Elite to I'm right trying now. to get everybody up, but like all my guys die and then I'm then I'm like, "All right, time to bring out the Nido." And they just she just fucking destroys. This Nido <laughs> is a beast. It's like it's fucking scary cuz like everyone you meet in the game is not as serious about Pokemon as you are, except this guy called Tanner. Oh, you named him Tanner, your yeah, you, rival. Early on, you, they say you can name your arch rival whatever you want. Yeah. And so this guy called Tanner seems like he's a serious. What's your character's name? Jack. Jack, okay. Um, and my, my Pikachu is called Jenkins. Okay, your cat's name. Yeah. 
And then yep. I got a I got a Pidgey called uh, Princess. She's not a Pidgey anymore. She evolved. But Pidgey app. Uh, everyone except for Tanner just doesn't seem as serious about the game as I am. And I'll just bring out my Night Out and I'll be like, I will. I'm gonna just fucking destroy you. And it's awkward. It's a, frankly awkward because Nido just body slams them into oblivion. So let me ask I'm you. Some so questions. glad that you're in my world now. Yeah. As soon as you beat it, I have very good news for you. What? There are about a thousand more games. So I have some. I have some complaints and as well. Jack. Okay. You know how there's 151 Pokemon in the version you're playing? Yeah, it's too much. They just keep adding the damn no, things, Jack. We're many. up to thousands of Pokemon now. It's already too many because I feel like I have to catch them all. Yes, you do. You absolutely have to. And it's exhausting. And, and it you stresses have to get shinies. Me out. Oh. Don't even get me started on shinies, man. It stresses me out because I like I'm wired to be a completist. Oh, you're gonna love shinies then. So once you beat once you beat it and you capture all 151 Pokemon, there is a like one in ten thousand chance that every time you encounter a wild Pokemon, mm. it can be slightly differently colored. Oh, no, see that, and shit? they're called shinies. You're gonna lose me with that because I don't need that. I like. <sighs> The catching of Pokemon part of the game stresses me out. Okay. And then the other thing that stressed me out is I don't understand this world. So here's what Professor Oak says. I, there's this gentleman called Professor Oak. A thing that I really liked about the game early on is it has this very academic yeah. quality to it. You're doing work for a professor. You're doing work for a professor and everyone's like kind of academic and they everyone, no matter what, no matter what community you end up in, they have books on their walls. Yeah. And you look at the the books and it says like, the the wall is full of Pokemon books. I'm starting I, to see why you only got to the fourth gym after two weeks of playing this game. Because I read all the, I read all the stuff. And, like looked at everyone's bookshelves. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I liked that aspect of it, but something Oak says to me, this guy Professor Oak, who seems like he's a good person, but he says it early on. He says the following thing: For some people, Pokemon are pets. Others use them for fights. Yep. I I find that to be fairly dark. I find this world to be fairly dark. Yeah. And yes. I don't know what and I'm supposed to And this is something people it. talk about a lot. Like, the thing I couldn't quite understand in terms of, like, immersing myself in the world is that it's, like, it is at, at once super family-friendly and fun and joyful, but it has this, like, dark undertone. When, the, when your Pokemon gets killed, they call it fainting. Yes. They say that he fainted. But at the same time, these fuckers in Team Rocket... Are straight up like fucking murdering people and murdering Pokemons and like right. burglarizing their houses. It's dark as hell. Like there's you go we I, the level I recently went to. There are like all these ghosts and the ghosts are from like all these Pokemons that the Team Rocket just like fought until they died. Or like yes. one of them tried to escape. Like this one Pokemon's mom tried to escape and she fucking got killed because she wouldn't fight for Team Rocket. It's dark. Yes. So there's there's several weird things in this game. Yeah. There are some like truly, truly bizarre Pokedex entries that add to the unsettling mythology of this world. Yeah. The description for the Pokemon Cubone. Did you run into Cubone? Yeah, I ran into Cubone. That that's it's like a little mouse with a skull on its head. Yeah, he's a weirdo. It freaks me out. Scary. The remake Pokemon. of Pokemon Red. Mm -hmm. The Pokedex description for Cubone is, it wears the skull of its dead mother on its head. Yeah. 
When it becomes lonesome, it cries yeah. loudly. That is resolved in this story. The Cubone... I went to this ghost town, and everybody's freaking out because the Cubone's mom is, has died. And I had to go and free the spirit right, exactly. of the Cubone's mother. Yes, and yes, I found yes. that very, very dark. Victory Bell. Did you run into a Victory Bell? No. It's kind of a big... It's what... Um, you know that dumb little f- like bell bell sprout? It's called. It's like yep. a little like I it evolves into Pokemon. something called Victory Bell. Mm-hmm. Victory Bell's Pokedex description: It lures prey with a sweet aroma of honey. Swallowed whole, the prey is melted in a day, bones and all. This is a dark. This is a dark world. It's a bad world, and everybody in it is obsessed with Pokemon. It's all they yes. think about. The entire economy of this fucking world is based on, like, raising and fighting these animals against each other. It's so fucked up. Yeah, no, it's a real weird world. The Pokemon were here before any of us. That's something they say. Like, before people, the Pokemon were here. Yes. And so that makes it worse and more frightening for me. This is, like, a, this is a metaphor for, like, in, in, like, for factory farming. Like, we show up and we, like destroy the habitats of these creatures and then we like use them for our own nefarious ends. So I'm glad you brought this up because okay. the the world of Pokemon gets bananas. Like eventually yeah. later on in in later generations you're like battling and capturing like gods essentially really? like yeah. the the Pokemon that formed the universe. Jesus. Are like on your team with Pikachu <clears throat> essentially. Yeah. yeah. So there is a there's a prominent Pokemon fan theory that states, and if you've ever watched the the anime, you would know this: that every Pokemon just yells its own name. Yeah, Pika, so Pikachu Pika. says Pika Pika Pikachu. Right? There is a prominent fan theory that all of human language in the Pokemon universe is based on what we hear Pokemon saying. Whoa! So, like a Charmander, a, mm-hmm. a, you have I rocked, that on I your rolled team. with a Charmander, yeah. They say Charmander. So yeah. then humans hear this creature with fire on its tail saying Charmander. And we form words kind of based on some of the characteristics of this Pokemon. We see that this Pokemon has fire on its tail. Mm-hmm. We start to associate the word Char with mm-hmm. this creature. Wow. So Pokemon are actually responsible for shaping our entire society. That tracks. I can't argue with it. Do you want to hear what my team is? Mm-hmm. So here's who I roll with. I roll with this Pika called Jenkins. He's level 34, electric type. The level's unimportant, and we know the type. I roll with this uh, ex-Pidgey called Princess. She's now a Pidgeotti. She's evolved. She's level 27. I roll with... I got this new guy on my team. I don't love him. He started off as a Squirtle. He's a guy called War Tortle now. Uh, you got you to gotta level that up to a Blastoise. Blastoise... So, okay. He's level 16. Then I'm rolling with this dude called Charmeleon. He's level 24. You got to level I, him up too in Charizard. Then I got this girl called Clefable. She's level 30. She's a fairy. Clefable. I always say Clefable. She's a normal uh, type. Oh, no. The fairy teleport. type does not exist quite yet. But, but she then, will someday be a fairy type. And then I then my main guy is Nidoqueen. Level 43. Poison. And just like unstoppable. Cannot normal, be stopped. Normal poison. Tell me, Tanner, before we move on to the next topic, tell me about yourself and your experience with this game in the year 1998. I'll admit, I definitely did play this game, mm-hmm. um, but my main Was it entry, Game Boy? 
into it was Game Boy, yeah. Like okay. so the the very first Pokemon games came out in 1996. They were called Pokemon Red and Pokemon Blue, and they came out when I was in sixth grade in elementary school. Okay, and everyone played them, and they were the coolest. Okay, and they came out on the original Game Boy. Yeah, big green screen. This game, in part to to kind of get up to speed with the um, anime, mm-hmm. was also released to take advantage of a new system called the Game Boy Color, mm-hmm. which came oh, out, I remember it. I believe yeah. also in 1998. Yes. So this was a full color game, uh, Pokemon game, which was very exciting at the time. So I picked a. I definitely had. I had a translucent purple Game Boy Color. I was very shy and antisocial and spent most of my time playing video games. So I was very excited to have this experience to take with me. Yeah. In 1998. I remember riding the bus and playing Pokemon Yellow. Yeah. I remember avoiding people at school and playing Pokemon Yellow. It was a truly formative game for Did me you at get the time. hit on a lot, like wearing your bucket hat and, and playing Pokemon Yellow on the bus? Um, like by bullies? Oh yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> yeah, like Team Rocket. I remember one guy on the bus around that era. Um, this guy called Neil. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was kind of a bad boy. Yeah, he invited me to join his gang. Oh, and I thought gang. I've heard of gangs. Yeah, and they're no good and they're scary. And I said okay. no. <laughs> and then he was Wrong talking answer. about. He was talking about smoking once, and okay. he said something along the lines of, like, do you know what a spliff is? Uh-oh. And I was like, it's marijuana. <laughs> okay. And I remember cool. him laughing at me for, like, five minutes, and he was like, marijuana? He said marijuana. Yeah. So I think that's his- the kind of person I was attempting to avoid by playing Pokemon. History is, has proved Neil wrong. I was on Neil's side for most of this story. Yeah. Like, I saw myself in him. But looking back on that in the broad sweep of history, like, a spliff is marijuana. No, I know. But it was, like, an uncool thing to say at the time, I guess. I think He wanted spliff... me to say, like, weed or, like, I think spl- spliff is an uncool thing to say. Yeah. I, even it wasn't in, so cool. In, even in It wasn't uncool in 1998. When you I was, think it was uncool in When I was 14, I was smoking a lot of pot. Okay. Yeah. I was Neil. Yeah. I'm kind of Neil- now, now. <laughs> that's cool. That's great. All right, well, I'm calling the cops though. Oh no! Uh, should we talk about our final thing? Yes, I'm glad. So I have one last question, and then we'll yeah. wrap up. Yeah. Are you going to finish the game? I think so. Like, I got a little hung up. It got, it started to stop. It, I really liked it. I really enjoyed this. I want to. I want for you to know right now. You've got the kind of team that can just like you can breeze through the rest of the game. If you've got a level forty something, you said. Yeah, but that's the problem. Like I like it's uh, it's not a challenge for me anymore to just like destroy people with my Nido. Go catch all those Pokemon, man! You haven't but even it, been introduced to Mewtwo yet, Jack. Mewtwo. I would love to have a cat Pokemon. I would love that. No, he's not a cat. He's like a all powerful alien. My son has a toy that we call Miss Kitty. Yeah, named after Miss Kitty Fantastico, which is the cat that. Buffy has in the okay. show Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is be- going to become familiar. relevant very soon. Uh, but in fact, it's Sarah, my wife, named th- the cat. And in fact, it is not 
Miss Kitty Fantastico, but no. it is a Pokemon called Meowth that Have you, you and I, a Meowth? I bought with you. Yeah, I, when I, we were in I Japan. destroy Meowth with my Nido that I bought while I was in Japan with you. That's an Alola. Uh, and my my meowth. my child cannot sleep without his Meowth. Yeah. But he knows her as Miss Kitty, which is, God, it's such a good segue. Miss Kitty, Fantastico, R.I.P. Spoilers for Buffy. R.I.P. She gets killed with an arrow in the off season. Who does? Miss Kitty Fantastico. Oh, okay. I think you meant Buffy. They briefly have a cat, and then there's a conversation where Willow is like, what happened to Miss Kitty Fantastico? And it, it seems like she accidentally got killed by a crossbow. But Tanner, the what I mean... Yeah. that Buffy had a cat called Miss... Kitty Fantastico, yeah, is exactly what I found so corny and frustrating about the two episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer I watched yeah. this week. All right, so eighties. We're now going to enter into the portion of the night. Aiders. Aiders. Aiders, we're now going to enter into the portion of the night where we talk about a thing that I made Tanner watch that he didn't like, and some of you are going to be indifferent, some of you are going to be as frustrated and annoyed as I am, and some of you are going to be on Tanner's side in this. Very few of you are going to be on Tanner's side in this. So 1998 is mostly season two of Buffy, and for people who do like the show Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, I debated having Tanner watch the, the episode Band Candy, which kind of stands alone and is funny. And I realized that if I really want to get to the essence of what Buffy is and what it means to this year, I need to make him watch Becoming. Uh, so spoilers for the season finale, the part, the two-part season finale of Buffy season two, Becoming – uh, and Tanner didn't like it. He fucking sent me a, a, a long series of messages, like super. I won't read them now. Super whiny, like oh, I don't think we should. You know, if we're, the show's gonna you know, the, really difficult to get through. Difficult to read at the time. Difficult to talk about now. <laughs> <laughs> I think I... I think that you legitimately don't like and can't like and never will like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Let's just fucking talk about it. My name That's is Tanner Greenring, and I am not a Buffy the Vampire Slayer yeah. fan. I, I think we've sorry. proved that out. We've proved that out. I love a lot of things. Yeah. And I love a lot of very nerdy things that a lot of nerds like. I like Firefly. Yeah. I like the Marvel movies. Yeah. I like Star Trek. I like Star Wars. Do you want to give some 1998 references for... Fuck. I think Firefly, you're good. Oh, Firefly no, you're not. No, not no, no Firefly is 2000. So I need I need a, something for Firefly. I need something for the Marvel movies. The only thing I can think of off the top of my head for Firefly is that British show Red Dwarf. Great. Perfect. I like, like Red Dwarf. funny sci-fi. Yeah. It's a little too comedic, but I'll take it. I'll allow it. Super and the Marvel movies, huh? movies? yeah. Oof. Um, was anything out then? Did had when the... did Daredevil come out with Ben oh, Affleck? Oh, oh, I know. Yeah, there was two movies I can think of off the top of my head that came out in 1998. Superhero movies. One was called Blade. Oh yes, fuck yes. I like Blade. Wesley Snipes. Yes, and that's one another was vampire called... thing. Yeah, one was called Nick Fury, Agent of Shield, starring. 
David Hasselhoff as Nick Fury, Agent Real? of S.H.I.E.L.D. I did Hell yeah, not man. know that. It was a good-ass... Nah, it was not a good-ass movie. It was a dumb-ass movie. But it was also it was um, made for TV. And we're going to play a clip from that now. This is Hydra headquarters. Long S.H.I.E.L.D. in the way of York. Nick, thank God. I thought you were dead. I was. But now I'm better. <laughs> 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 so vampires are in the air. You don't like it. You don't like Buffy. It's okay. I... We're good enough friends that this isn't going to shake the foundation of our friendship. But I do, I do want to say for the record that it's not just that I like. You were trying to make a point that like I picked a bad thing for you, like a bad, yes. a bad buff example of Buffy. The point that and I, I will still make, maintain that that's true, and that I, I am certain that I will be backed up by anybody who's still listening, all tens of you. Is that if you don't like becoming even without context, if you don't like the end of season two. You're never gonna like Buffy. Okay, this is a quintessential episode. It's like, sure, there's lots of things that you you need to do some guesswork about, like why is Angel bad? Right. Well, I but I don't know Angel, so you know what Angel he's always is. bad. You know that you've seen a show called Angel. As far as I knew, he was bad up until that point. Right. I had no reason to believe that he was never not bad. I knew he gets good, yeah. but up until that point, he was always bad. As far as I was concerned, I also had the privilege of watching this with my wife. Jamie I think ja- I think Jamie's to blame here. I think she who is a huge Buffy fan. Yeah, and it was helpful to have her around because she could answer the many many questions I had. Because you selected a bad episode. Let's get to the bottom of it, Jack. It was okay. all lore. This was no. just like pure Buffy lore. It was like you had to know so much about Buffy. You had to know so much about Buffy's friends. You had to know who all the characters were. You had to know their relationships. And I just didn't. And also, they kept saying all this dumb shit. And I hate Willow. God, I hate Willow. Uh-oh. That's going to be very controversial. She's you so sh- corny. She's so lame. She's Are like, you sure you don't want She talks in this baby voice oh throughout the whole episode she's like oh uh, buffy i'm going to go do a spell oh for you and may- oh maybe i'm a witch i don't know maybe i'm worried I'm for a witch no haters i love willow she's amazing she's the best she's incredible willow's the best character in buffy uh they kept doing I, all these is there anything i can say that will counteract what tanner's done they kept doing all these to, corny 1998 jokes where it was like it was like bad like Seinfeld jokes almost. Here's a fu- where it here's was a- like uh she was a she, she was a she was a uh spiker and it's like what? She was a spiker. It's like she was a spiker. And yeah, they like, create their own language. This. It's so 1998. Buffy says uh, a, a line from this episode that I really like is that like that Willow is trying to help Buffy do her homework. Yeah. And she's like, Buffy, you're not you, you're not paying attention, you're not learning. And Buffy stops and she goes, Okay, I'm learn girl. Yeah. That's very, very corny. it no, very it's very corny. very joss. It's very of the time. Buffy had this friend who was also a slayer. And yeah. it's like there are other slayers? I don't Kendra. get it. Well, everybody knows that when Buffy briefly died, another Slayer was born, and that was so. Kendra gives Buffy the spike at some point, and she's like, "This is my friend, Mister Stabby." That's funny. That's the thing. That's the thing. So fucking corny. It was just like it was so corny, and like I don't fault it. Baby Nation, sorry, shit, (laughs) haters. 
I have tried several times. I really want to love Buffy, and I've tried several times now to start Buffy. You'll never and love I it. just like I think it's just too I'm too far gone. It's just like it's too out of date for me. It's if too you don't slow, like Mr. Stabby. It's too corny. Like I just don't think like I can it. like it. It's and not I'm for really you. sorry. Yeah, and, you and Willow's be. just the worst. You should be sorry, and that's a bad, the worst. You knew who my favorite character was? I just want to say, the idea that Willow is the worst is, and I work on the internet, that is the worst take that I have ever heard. That, like, by she's all means. She's so dumb. Like, no, she's no, just no, no, no. so lame. No no no. no, no, no. Like, by all means, don't don't like Xander. You know, like, I don't agree with that. I like Xander, oh, I didn't, but. I didn't like Xander. Fine, that's fine. Uh, think that Spike's accent isn't great. I kind of like Spike, and I liked his whole like anti. It was like anti. It wasn't even anti-hero. It was like anti-villain. It was like I'm the villain, but I'm also a good boy. So a thing that Joss I'm going is doing. To hip you. The thing that Joss is doing in this episode is that Angel. Oh, uh, what been, was their? What was the vampire people's f- female friend called? She was bad. Drusilla. Oh, so bad. Drusilla's amazing. That's a bad take too. Um, <laughs> this is. You know who was good? You know who my favorite character was? Cordelia. Okay. She was cool. Fine. She was very blase. And Giles. Giles is great. So here's a here's a look behind the, the scenes from this episode. Um, when Angel is torturing Giles in this episode, Anthony Head is, to make himself seem more tortured, has put a bunch of chili peppers in his mouth. Yeah. And so that's yeah, why it was very good. It's good method acting. Um, and David Boreanaz, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but is like super clumsy. And it's called like, Angel. Angel kept falling yeah. over during that scene. That's a little. That's just a little fun. But the important thing to note about this is this episode is it's like Angel is transitioning from being this like hero to being like the villainous side of him, and Spike turns from being this villain to being like kind of the lovable. Yeah, and, and I definitely did like Spike. And that's fun. That's just there were some fun, fun interactions with Buffy Summers' mom and Spike. Amazing. I liked that stuff. Yeah. Um, Seth Green was a fucking snooze. You're a snooze. He's you a also... vampire? Or he's a werewolf? He's a werewolf. What is he? I'm not and is Willow him. officially a witch? Or is she like a witch in training? She's just learning. Okay. And where's She's Dawn? Dawn's not till later. Okay. Did you say Dong? <laughs> I like teed it up for you, and you still like <laughs> had to be too much of like a Buffy nerd to like. <laughs> uh, but this is it's interesting, and I think that this this episode. I'm sorry you didn't like it. I think that it is true that if you didn't like this episode, you won't like Buffy. It, it's got everything. It's so it's so of the time. It's so groundbreaking like shows like this just didn't exist and like the best way to get into Buffy no. is to skip season one and start with season two and if you if you don't like the fucking amazing culmination of season two you're not gonna like Buffy um, and I think but- that's actually part of the problem and I think that's part of what dates this whole thing so much is like this format was very innovative and very cool in 1998 but yeah. the whole monster of the week thing Right. has just become so common and so like 
played and it's like not Buffy's fault that I don't like it. It's just the fact that I didn't watch it at the time and now like I think that's you true. know like Supernatural and and like X-Files and Fringe like they all came came and went in the time between uh, when Buffy came out and now that it's like there's no going back. There's an, I don't think I think it would be very hard for most well, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to be proven wrong by a million angry people who are going to disagree with my disliking of Buffy, but it's just like, it's just so, it's done. It's been done so many times now. Like, it's not Buffy's fault I don't like it. It's society's fault. I think that's true, and I'm sad for you, and I'm sad for society. And I'm disappointed I didn't watch it at the time. Yeah. As you know, my dad was a huge Angel fan, yeah. so I weirdly caught a number of Angel episodes as a kid. You would have loved it, and I do think that, like, like I would even go so far as to say that like more like superhero movies owe a lot to Buffy. Like the sense that sense of humor and like that that like commitment to story and that commitment to character that Buffy has like inform the the like you know and like it's not an accident that Joss directed Avengers. Right. The thing it reminded me most of was modern doctor who yeah which is and also 100 like, facilitated by this like yes the, m- modern doctor who does not exist like david tennant chris eccleston doctor who does not exist without buffy like it just it never and i love me. christopher eccleston and david yeah. tennant doctor who but i also watched them concurrent with when they were being released so it felt fresh and the comedy was fresh and the character characterizations were fresh and that's just like that is not true of Buffy anymore I'm sorry Buffy fans I really want to like Buffy but I just did not like it well you've let us all down this episode of Buffy was called Becoming and it is an interesting first thing for us to talk about in this pilot episode of 1998 because that is what 1998 was all about is this fear of what it is that we are becoming. And in this episode, Buffy becomes what she becomes is something that she she has to let go of childish things. She has she loses her whole support network. Angel is gone, her boyfriend is gone, her friends are gone, her mom is gone. Everything that she relied on that was like And she runs her, away at the end of the episode. And she runs away. Everything that was like still holding her back into just like being a a teen girl in addition to a vampire slayer is stripped from her and what she becomes is like what the next six seasons five seasons of Buffy are about and I'm sorry that you will never get to see them yeah um, but and, it, and what Angel becomes is informs who he is like he, it like he becomes this evil version of himself that, right and eventually he would become Bones the, and that later becomes Bones yeah uh, and who has to solve, solve crimes crimes with, bones. with the forensic unit Zoe Deschanel's uh, sister. And what 1998 is about is what are we going to become? What's going to happen? What's like, I, Tanner Greenring, was 14 and I was becoming a man. And I, Jack Shepard, at 19, was becoming... I was a fuck, just an asshole. I was you were maybe, becoming an indie guy. I was becoming an indie guy. You were transition. I was transitioning from boyhood into manhood. You were transitioning from Ravehood to indiehood. Indie. Yeah. Um, but we can, we're not going to talk about what I became. We are going to talk about, as we continue with the show, what we were and forever will be becoming in the great year, 1998. I, I'm, I'm so sad for you. Is Jamie mad at you? Is she yeah, upset she with you? Yeah, she seemed a little mad. She was more mad with you that you picked a bad episode. She no, was like, I why think, didn't he pick Band Candy? No, that's why. So I have a beef with Jamie because I think she tainted you. No, I don't. I think I, she tainted I, when, you. I was like, shut up. 
I didn't say shut up to my wife. Obviously, I love my wife very much. But I was like, I think Jack knows what he's doing. I'm gonna watch this one. I think I'm gonna like it. And I just, I just didn't. And I'm so sorry. But you know what? It wasn't a surprise. I've tried several times. You will never like Buffy. I will never like Buffy, and I, for that, I'm sincerely sorry. Yeah. I'm upset with you. You should just watch. I would be interested to have you just watch. I should, if I'd known that it was okay to make someone play fucking fifty hours of a game, I would have just been like, "Watch all of Buffy." Is my thing. I would have. You could have set me to watch a whole season of Buffy, and I would have done it. I should have made you watch season two if I'd known. This is it. We did it. Nineteen ninety-eight. Aiders. Aiders. Thank you for joining us for this inaugural episode of 1998 the podcast this is a bit of a a pilot i guess you could say Uh we're trying this out Uh during our regularly scheduled program which is the babysitter's club super Super club Uh next week we will be back on the babysitter's club super specials we'll be reading super special number eight Uh but keep this episode this pilot in mind because we have one more coming down the pipeline and then we're going to ask you all which show is most you like the most. You. Um, and if anyone is listening from the year 1998... Can that happen? I don't, I, I don't know if they have the technology. Sure. But sorry for the spoilers of season two of Buffy. Check out Willennium next year. I think you really did it. <laughs> You're going to love it. You're really going to like it. After Up, R.E.M.'s going to take another weird turn with Reveal. It's good, but it really does start a little bit of a decline that doesn't write itself until Collapse Into Now, frankly. Controversial, but that's what I think. Yeah. Invest in um, Google, Apple. Yeah. Oh, there's going to be this thing called Bitcoin. Buy some of those really early on. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and I guess that's it. Take us, uh, take us out with our awesome 1998 only outro tenor. Okay, each week one of us, we both say our favorite um, line from a film from 1998. Okay, I'm gonna do so. This is a two-parter, and I need your help. Okay, thank you for joining us, Aiders. Um, we'll see you next time, Jack. I like your nurse's uniform, guy. These are OR scrubs. Oh, are they? It was from Rushmore, a hit film from 1998. (laughs) See you next time. Let's record. I'm recording already, actually. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine. Excuse me? You say eight because it's 1998, the podcast. Okay, two, three, four, five. Six. Seven. Nine. Nine. No, you say eight because it's 1998, the podcast. Eight. Ten. Okay. And now, do we count? Okay. I liked it when it was like. (laughs) I just don't understand why we. Did they count differently in 1998? 1998. 1998. Nine, eight. That was a headgum podcast.